All right, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Uh, not sure why, we have a smaller crowd than usual, which is fine. It'll be more intimate. We'll get to know one another. Uh, this might be because I only gave an hour notice before going live. I want to talk a little bit about an amazing um, manifestation of one of my favorite, uh, I guess, radlib tendencies. I like the word radlib. It It describes a certain type of person who actually has like pretty blandly liberal politics. They're typically like a, a really ardent Hillary Clinton supporter, but they just have like really, they say crazy things online and they are like really intense. Uh, the sort of Radlib Bernie bro wars were very interesting, but there was a uh, online Radlib blow up about uh, Madlib because of the pun, right? Radlib, not Madlib. But uh so a guy named Eamon, who apparently has a uh show for MSNBC, Iman, I'm sorry, A Y M A N. Um I, I haven't heard of this show, but he has a lot of followers and stuff. He tweets, Yet again, the media has not learned its lesson from twenty sixteen. The New York Times writing about an anti Semitic, anti democratic, election denying, pro insurrectionist QAnon believer as if she were an underdog sports figure returning from an injury. And the uh, headline and subheadline in question, headline, Marjorie Taylor Greene's comeback, subhead, Republican leaders have de uh, embraced the former political pariah, demonstrating Trumpism's hold over the party. Um, I, I've made this point before, but it is hilarious to me how many people think that that will do anything bad, that because the New York Times did not state in its subheadline Marjorie Taylor is a crazy, monstrous person, that that'll have any effect on anything. It's just this incredibly solipsistic way of viewing the world. And what I love is that if you click on the tweet, you see a ton of people replying, saying they're going to cancel their subscription to the New York Times. Um, if today's New York Times was writing about Germany in 1924, they would have written, insurgent conservative Adolf Hitler rested after nine months in prison for his fit like... Uh, I don't know how you get to a place in life where you, you're you so disconnected from reality and like what does cause political outcomes that you think the New York Times not calling Marjorie Taylor Greene a monster in every sentence and, and surely the article itself. Um, let me just double check this, Marjorie. It's impossible this article won't point out that she has said crazy shit and I just want to double check that rather than speculate. Um yeah, the fir first sentence mentions she had supported the QAnon conspiracy theory and spread other dangerous misinformation on social media. Who's the person who reads this and is going to be like, well, you know, they don't say she's a monster in the headline, so I support her now. I find that hilarious. Other, We have a small crowd today. Other folks should get in the queue. I'm going to start with Neil. Any question or comment you want about everything. It doesn't have to be about this nonsense. Neil, what's up? Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about your positive rights tweet because I don't really understand your confusion, right? Because, like, so you say. Well, let me let me just say what I said. I said, okay. um, and and I got a lot of pushback for this, but someone tweeted no, you, that, you like, someone uh, tweeted that um, sex is a human right, and a bunch of people interpreted her saying that as like, oh, you're going to force women to, into the sex trade. I said that that was similar structurally as an argument to conservatives when you say, I believe in universal healthcare, who say, oh, you're going to force doctors to provide for people. I just don't think that's how rights work. But tell me why I'm wrong. Well, that is that is how rights work, right? So 
like you said, you said it doesn't seem to be the case that uh, you have a right to government subsidized healthcare if you're poor, at least a genuine coercion. But like, what happens if you don't pay your taxes that fund the the government subsidized healthcare, right? It's it's literally coercion, right? Like, I just don't I don't understand. It's you're saying taxes are coercion. Yeah, and then also who's going to provide the healthcare? Because doctors are say for whatever reason, because there's only so many doctors that can provide whatever healthcare that you're mandating be covered, right? But um, like, say it's like heart surgery, right? Like for whatever reason, the heart surgeons, you know, they're they don't want to do it. But then if you're if if you're it's if you have a positive right to healthcare, then someone has to do it. You're going to force someone to to do this heart surgery, right? It's like there's def there's it's there's definitely going to be coercion. I mean, so do you think that people, doctors who are like licensed, should be allowed to like deny people life saving? I mean, I guess heart surgery is an intense example, but I guess I just don't see the place where like someone's, I don't know. There's a lot of jobs you take on where you have certain responsibilities, right? But you can always just not go into work that day or like whatever. Like you don't, you're not forced to do it no matter what. But how is, how is healthcare different? It's not like doctors don't take days off or don't take vacation days. No one's saying, um, I imagine the code of ethics, if you're doctors, if you're like on a plane and someone's have a heart, having a heart attack, you do have a duty to treat them. But no one's forcing a doctor to like always work or like enslaving them. What, what am I missing here? I mean, but I guess this is the difference between like in theory versus in practice, right? Because in practice, yeah, there were always going to be doctors who are willing to work or like or like there's they're not going to be like paid like slave wages, right? Like like that's just how this, the system functions such that they would be paid, you know, reasonably well, maybe not as well as you know, their loans would want them to be if, if we're going to make everyone covered. But I, in theory, right, it's, it's, there's always going to be coercion, right, at the end, because if... if oh, my, I mean, my argument is that there's no coercion in society. My argument is the idea that we can't have universal health care because doctors will be forced to treat people is sort of a silly argument. A lot of people are forced, in certain senses, forced to do a lot of stuff. But um, I don't know. The example I used was was you have a right to get a driver's license. That doesn't mean people are being conscripted is it, into is the DMV. Is it a DMV. right to get a driver's license? I feel like there was pushback on this one. It's it's more that you have to get a driver's license if you want to drive, right? So like the the it that's like imposing on you the the need to get the driver's mm, license. It's I think right I I don't think the government can legally prevent you from getting a driver's license for any reason. I think it's I think no, if but you're... The, the fact that you need one at all to drive on the roads is a government mandated imposition on. No, whatever. Like well, that's right. true, but you also do have a right, or you have a right to get a driver's license. Those are both; those are two separate I mean, things that are both true. Uh, I see, but that's not a right, though. It's right. It's you. It's I feel. I feel like we're defining rights differently. That like Maybe, that's why a right to sex is like wrong because you don't have a right to sex, right? It's like you're using the word incorrectly if you say that. Like, but how how would I be using it incorrectly if I say um, U.S. citizens have a right to get a driver's license? Because if not for the U.S. government, there would be no need for you to have a driver's license. I know, but that's a separate. But it's also true you have a right to get a driver's license. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, I f You're saying I because they impose it on you, you don't consider rights right. differently. Yeah. Like, um, like someone, someone analogized it to being dropped dropped on an island, right? If you're dropped in an island. Well, what, okay. If I, property rights. You have a, you you have property rights if you own property. You have a right uh, to have someone else not come and take it. Does that mean yeah, we're and that's, we're... that's independent of the, the government, though. It, it's just, no, it's not. It's an innate right. No, because if you if we didn't have laws that involve police and, and lawyers and judges, that right would be meaningless. So does that mean we're... Well, you would still have it. It just maybe wouldn't be enforceable because you can't protect yourself. But the right is innate, right? Whether it's from right, God but we're talking... or religious or... 
Right, but we're talking about rights that are sort of backed by the government. I mean, all rights should be backed by the government. That's gotcha. why. That's what the government exists for, to protect our rights. Right. Um, well, I don't want to go too down this formal, but I'm saying the, the conservative argument has been that if government guaranteed a right to health care, that would be a positive right to health care, yeah. a positive right to health care. That would, in a sense, be sort of tyrannical toward doctors. I'm saying the government does guarantee your property rights. Your property rights will be defended. That doesn't impose tyranny on police officers or lawyers or judges. Because uh, oh, I'm not I'm, I'm... I'm not like the best like defender of this, but that would be because that's like why we have the government. That's why we're paying. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like you, yeah. you can just not work as a police officer. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, you can just not work as a doctor. That's all I'm saying. But um, anyway, let's uh, think more about it. We can, we can always pick that up. Yeah. And Thanks. then the other thing I wanted to call in about was that, so we had the, the official unofficial block reported discord game night. And apparently nice. you, you were going to maybe show up and then you didn't, but it was still fun. Nice. I want to do no the, um, I'm going to contact the guy and uh, uh, it, I just have a lot of shit going on. I'd like to at some point Fair. do a quiplash thing, maybe where he could raise money for charity. Someone talk to him about that. Ooh, have him, cool. If you know that guy, have him reach out to me. The guy who runs I mean, the Discord. Just, just the Discord, so yeah. Okay. Oh, right. Thanks, so. Cool. Lauren Thacker, who's a lawyer. Maybe you can tell me what I'm wrong about here. Or if you want to talk about something else, that's fine. Can you hear me okay? I can. How's it going? Good. Hey, you know, one of the things that I really value about the work you do is your assessments of published uh, academic journal articles. So, for example, um, the report you did on the implicit bias test a few years ago, it was just, it was a fantastic analysis. It really helped me understand Thank you. Um, the, the weaknesses in the uh, the published studies, and I, I feel what I feel is that you know I'm a reasonably smart person, but I, I don't have the skill to assess the quality. And I, so I, I come to my default has kind of been. When I read a study in, in sociology, for example, my default is just not to trust it. And I don't like that cynicism, maybe well-founded, I don't know, um, with all the replication, you know, problems with replication, things like that. I know there's, there, there's, there's a lot of issues there. So the question I have is, is there a primer of some sort, not to become an expert, in evaluating the validity of studies, but to get some basic understanding of, uh, you know, some of the mechanical things that a person should look for, or is that really something that can only be, I know you, you, you did, I think, graduate level work in um, th th this kind of, this kind of area. Um, so I don't, I don't know, maybe, so I'm just kind of looking for some advice. On, yeah. I, I, uh, what type of uh, self-education a person could go through? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I've gotten versions of it before, and I've had a couple people ask me if like, I might um, write something, which I don't have any uh, near-term plans to do. I, I would say if you, like, if you read my book or Stuart Ritchie's book, Science Fictions, um, and he's much better at the quantitative stuff than I am, they'll give you like a pretty 
a good head start against folks who haven't read about this stuff. I, I mean, the fact is, like, on a lot of stuff, including the implicit association test, I do lean hard on experts who are better at this stuff than I am and who can explain certain statistical arguments and principles to me. Um, I think once you gain a decent grasp on the extent to which if I have a bunch of data and I run a million different analyses without any plan beforehand, I can always find something that seems to support my goal or often that's a really important principle to master. And that's why ideas like pre-registration where you pre-register your hypothesis and your data plan beforehand to sort of keep you on the rails. That sort of thing is really important. Understanding what like internal and external validity mean are important, like particularly external validity just means like, are we actually measuring something that matters in the real world or the thing we say we're measuring? Um, and then just like understanding somewhat basic concepts like, like P hacking and, and there's just so many ways statistical reasoning can go wrong and the incentives are so bad. So that's some of the stuff I'm, I, I think our books are like pretty good starts. I don't know of anywhere else where like all this stuff is in the same place. Maybe someone else does. That's a good, uh, I wasn't aware of uh, science fiction. So I'll definitely get a copy of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that's it. Oh, no, no, no. Neil says in chat, I would also recommend basic stats. I, I, my only graduate level work was in basic stats. I didn't do any advanced stuff. So basic stats helps a lot. If you, as I've said, if like on a one to 10 scale where a 10 is a PhD, uh, some of the PhD in stats and a one is like a total newcomer. If you can just make yourself a three rather than a one, it makes a huge difference. And also like, you know, if you subscribe to Stuart Ritchie's newsletter and read about this stuff regularly, you just, you'll become smarter and more savvy over time. Okay. I've just made a couple notes. Say, I really appreciate that. I'll uh, log off. Cool. Thanks, Thanks. Lauren. Oh my God. As I unfortunately have Twitter open, one of my, someone I follow who, uh, oh no, this was retweeted. Norwegian trans woman has developed a shooting game where players can slaughter turfs up close with a chainsaw. So that's good. Violence against women is good sometimes. That's it, like one of the essays, like I just should write at some point, but I like, uh, It'll just make people mad. But the fixation on like turfs rather than conservatives as like the driving force behind negative outcomes for trans rights is just so weird because it's like there's such a tiny group like genuine turfs or like, you know, gender critical feminists and, and philosophers. And they have no influence relative to Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott. And I just the obsession is so bizarre to me. And I just think it's a manifestation of this thing where like, if you're a fairly privileged person in the liberal world, you have very little exposure to like Greg Abbott types day to day, interpersonally or professionally. You might know a radical feminist or two or gender critical feminist or two. So it's just like all this focus on other people who are fundamentally on the left, but who have no Genuine power, and then it'll be like, oh, but one time in 2018, a turf went to a, sat on a panel at a heter, um, heritage foundation conference, and it's just this bizarre. Someone should, someone who isn't me, should write about um, the obsession with turfs. I think something similar is going on, and other folks should get in the queue, by the way, because eventually I run out of steam. But what I want to say is, th there's something similar going on with the obsession with New York Times headlines. We're like, this is our world. Like everything in the liberal world is very important. 
obviously what the times does or doesn't report on is life and death. So it just represents a very blinkered outlook because as important and prestigious and powerful as the times is their headlines don't fucking matter. Uh, Andrew, what is up? Hey Jesse. Um, I was just thinking of what I could talk about. Um, so, uh, to what Neil was saying about rights. Yeah. Uh, I've thought about this, this too. Um, and just to see what kind of clarity I can bring. Uh, one of the things I I think that has to be true in order for rights to exist and for, to not be in a, a, the society to not be in a state of chaos is that you have to be able to enter into a repeatable game. Uh, meaning that you can play it, you can play by the rules and then you can play it again. Yeah. And I, I think one of the functions of government, albeit unspoken, is when something in the real world just can't be a repeatable game. Like, you know, you can't have people driving cars who don't know how to drive because then, you know, someone dies. Yeah. Um, it's it's to enforce structure to make the game repeatable. Um, and and I, the way I carry that over into sex work in particular is I, I don't know. So I know there's the, the fancy um, version of it that I've read essays about from like AL or whatever. Um, but I don't know that, that sex work is really a repeatable game for some significant portion of women who get involved in it. Like in my hometown, there was a lady whose name was Crazy Mary. And not not her, her, not her legal name, I take it. No, not her legal name, but her... Uh, that I don't know what her last name was. Everyone just yeah. called her Crazy Mary, um, and I don't I don't know what her medical diagnosis was, but she was pretty apparently schizophrenic. Yeah, and I I don't really think you can say that that was uh, a choice for her. So without some sort of structure to really truly make sure people are choosing that, and I I don't even know what that would look like. I I don't. I'm very skeptical of it. Also. The, the um. The question of like free choice, I, I so I got pilloried by a bunch of people online for saying what I said, even though I don't even have like set views on the sex work thing. I, mm. I will find say there's always going to be prostitution, and it seems like you probably can't just be throwing everyone in jail. And obviously, if you throw everyone in jail, it'll be like low income women hit the hardest, oh, but. Yeah. It also, it, it sort of seems obviously true that a lot of people do get coerced into it. And um, there's a huge class divide on this. I, I, I know a guy who just like has done a lot of reporting on poor people. And he said like the women who like have to work on the street and who are sort of like not like Ayla really don't like this idea. Um, and Ayla is an interesting case because she doesn't come from like a, a – college oh, back yeah, I, 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 I read uh, some essays she wrote but... yeah yeah but there, there are like girl, like ivy league girls who like work as cam girls or high yeah. highly paid escorts and their experience is just so different from what right. like street work is so i i'm really torn on this i will say um i think it could easily be the case that one side is is more confident than they should be that these are arrangements are always entered freely without certain forms of coercion. But the other side probably assumes there's no such thing as like ethical sex work. That's that has like the right regulations in place. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, it, it's one of these things I was thinking about this today. Um, is that some things just suck and you really can't do a lot about them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this is, this is, I think one of them. 
Um, oh, and then the other thing, uh, again, just to help you fill time here, uh, I, I have a test for how crazy someone is that I've always wanted to share with somebody with whom it might actually matter. I like that. Um, so my test is uh, I type people into four categories, which is uh, they can talk to me and convince me that they're not crazy without having to tell me lies. They can talk gotcha. to me and convince me that they're not crazy, but they have to tell some lies about what their beliefs are. Um, they can talk to me and they can't figure out which lies to tell me to, to, to convince me that they're not crazy. And then four is they can't even meaningfully communicate. <laughs> I like that. I feel like you could, yeah, yeah that everyone could fit neatly in one or the other, one of the yeah, four. Yeah, so it's like it's just a simulation-based um, uh, uh, metric there. Anyway. I like that. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, let's go back to Neil, who has surely resolved the privileges talk. Oh, no, I didn't want to call in about that. I still have to think All right. about that more. What, what else you got? So I wanted to ask about, I guess, I feel like you just still haven't convinced me that, like, um, like ch a child, like, transgender care, or, like, gender-affirming surgery, whatever you want to call it, it uh, like, bans on children getting that is, like, what's wrong with that? I guess you haven't convinced me that. Oh. That, I, I'm not but I feel like the utilitarian case is, like, so clear and and you restrict we restrict the rights of children in all the all so many other ways right whether it's driving or consenting to sex or like so many other things or tattoos or like that i just on a utilitarian level i don't see why like this would be any different I don't um i mean the short answer is i just i think there's a group of people who will probably for whom transitioning at an early age will alleviate a lot of their suffering my like assessment of the evidence has gone. I, I've become more and more depressed about the state of the evidence. Like things, um, I just think people will suffer unnecessarily if they don't have access to this treatment. Now of the kids seeking treatment right now, what percentage of them would uh, qualify under like the Dutch approach, which involved, you know, months of assessment and a supportive family and no other mental health comorbidities, that's what I'm curious about. I just think like it's a very different population and a lot of them like would not be seen as like good candidates for this in a different system. And the system we have, we have just have no data supporting it at all. So uh, I, I feel really uncomfortable saying kids should just be outlawed from getting this treatment. I think there are some kids who go on it and have good outcomes. I just think it needs to be treated, even just puberty blockers, as an extremely serious um, medical decision and one that is not underpinned by very much evidence at all. I think you can almost say we have no evidence to support the present American approach, except for like, you know, the small handful of clinics still doing it in the more conservative Dutch style. Yeah, I guess if, if the standard is just like reducing like suffering, right? There's lots of reasons why like non-adults like kids suffer, right? Because of whether they don't have the freedom to like disobey their parents and doing various things, right? Cause parents have so much control over your lives when you're younger. And I just, I feel like you could use the same logic to, to try to like give kids way more rights and expand like, um, what is it? Emancipated minorship and right. Try to, like, I don't know. Well, the most awesome, like, some, like the most like, honest people, like, uh, what's her name? Ashley Florence. Well, she, I, I don't, she's not a good faith critic. I find her to be, difficult to deal with but she's basically said she like my understanding of her view is like 
trans kids should be able to get what they want, which I, I find to be a crazy view, but that's more honest than people who basically think that but won't say it out loud, including certain clinicians who like talk about gatekeeping in the concept of 14-year-olds. Like, you're a medical professional. Of course you're gatekeeping a 14-year-old. They're 14. So you're saying that you think people should, if they want to make that case, should just advocate for it directly for emancipated minors and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I do agree with you. I think there are young people, there are kids who are, like, mature enough to to know, like, what they want and what would help them, right? But there's also, like, just from knowing, like, kids, right? I'm, I'm only 21. I'm still pretty young. Um, there are so many other people who are, like, complete, like, morons and who, like, their opinions will change in, like, a few years. Like, even now they're morons, right? So, like, I and trying to disambiguate that, even through, like, like months of assessment, I feel like it's like very, very difficult. And like, I feel like it's a very hard task. So I, I don't know. Well, yeah, when I like first was reporting on this and talking to clinicians, they really did emphasize like slowing things down. Um, like this, the, if you have a kid who's like really anxious and they want to go on hormones like tomorrow, that's, that's seen as not a good sign that they'll benefit because they're not in a place where they can really think through the costs and benefits to the best of their, you know, somewhat limited by age, Ability. So what's so weird about the way this is covered is is we keep promoting this model of a kid who's like on the verge of suicide and you need to give them hormones right now, which is just not that's not how you make a medical decision. And in fact, we don't have any evidence to suggest that an otherwise suicidal kid that hormones will necessarily make that better. And we have some evidence anecdotal, like especially out of Sweden, of cases where kids who go on puberty blockers get more suicidal. So um I don't know. It's just been very depressing. Do you have thoughts on uh, Canada's like MAID system? Like uh, ass- uh, what is medically it? assisted dying and euthanasia? Because they're trying to expand that right to like just just mental health issues and uh, even like uh, adolescents. Yeah, I, the, I, I need to read up on it. There was, a, I think, a Barry Weiss podcast I need to listen to on it. My sense, a lot of the stuff I'm seeing online suggests it's pretty ghoulish. Um, but I'll, some of that, I think, is coming from stuff who have pretty deep folks who have deep-seated ideological opposition to assisted suicide. I'm not uh, ideologically opposed to it. And there's actually a really moving This American Life about it. Um, but if you have any situation where it's like young people who have mental health problems seeking assisted suicide, that's just not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Because I, I, like, in principle support it, but it's so difficult with with when you when you have like depressed people or people when it is just like a mental thing and not like a terminal illness or or like something where like they're like gonna die and they're in pain so you can just like let them die a bit early more peacefully right when you're expanding it to like oh it's totally different like i my whole like belief in it has to do with folks who are terminally ill and who would have a horrible death otherwise so it's just very it seems very very different to me and i i think i gotta just listen to this podcast or read the article because i i don't know enough about the controversy Unheard had a really good interview with like the brother of one of the people who had um, chosen to take his own life, and it was like a really like kind of horrible story that I feel like they should have more uh, policies in place to prevent. Oh uh, yeah, I should read that. Um, but you said that was unheard. Yeah, yeah, I can send you the. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Joe. Yeah, that's one of those ones where like I. Um, uh, I, I worked for a suicide hotline in Boston for a little while and it was really interesting that like they didn't, your job was just to be there. Like your job was not to like make sure people don't 
kill themselves or to even give them advise them not to. It was just to talk to them in a moment of, uh, you know, they're going through a horrible time. And I was surprised how many people would call a suicide hotline regularly. This was Samaritans uh, who weren't suicidal. They were just incredibly lonely. Uh, it was just, it was hard to like go in for like a four hour shift and just the sheer exposure to like really people in like really difficult situations, often physically disabled, they would say so. Um, the worst thing by far was there were dudes who would call the suicide hotline to masturbate if a female voice picked up, which is just like, it's like you have like humanity. What a bright, like the existence of a suicide hotline is a good sign for humanity. It's nice. I, I can't, I haven't done it in a dozen years. I'm horrible about volunteering, but it's a good sign. It's like humanity at its best, right? Suicide hotlines. And then people abuse that by calling repeatedly until a girl picks up or a woman picks up and masturbating to the suicide hotline volunteer's voice. So it's uh, a potpourri of humanity uh, volunteering for a suicide hotline. I should Maybe I should go back and uh, do it again. Um, yeah, if, folk, if someone wants to email me, I don't check this uh, messages thing as much, but if there's something I'm missing about like the rights versus privileges versus whatever else thing, definitely let me know. I, I, I feel like I'm missing something a little bit. I'm not missing what I get. What like some of the rad femmes are saying about sex work, just being completely different from any other sort of work. I do get that, but it's the structure of these arguments where if you have a right to healthcare, you're imposing unfairly on doctors. I just don't buy that. Or if, if I do buy that, I don't understand how we can have basic property rights backed by the state. Cause Someone has to do that job. How do you find that someone? I don't know. You recruit police officers. You use, you use markets. Markets can solve problems like finding police officers and judges and stuff. Um, so I wish I better understood those arguments. Uh, if anyone knows more about them, hit me up. Uh, let's grab Andrew before I log off. Andrew, what's up? Oh, I uh, I was just wanted to clarify. So um, – is your argument for sex work that it would need to be held under the, like the same protections of like, uh, like you can't discriminate against clientele? I don't, I don't, that's where it gets so creepy in that case. It, yeah. It's very different from like forcing a Christian baker to bake a cake for a gay wedding, forcing saying you, right. I mean, I, I, I would not want to come to this conclusion, but I guess that's what they're saying is that if you have a right to sex, the only thing that could mean is that someone has to have sex with you. I guess in reality, the fact if you obey the yeah, form. I guess in, in like a gray or black market, the reality <laughs> is you could probably find someone who will have sex with you for some amount of money if you have the money. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's a pretty nasty conclusion that obviously I would not be comfortable with. Whereas I am comfortable saying people have rights to police officers and so forth. Yeah. What, one thing I, I read in the book that wasn't even necessarily about this, but this is when I, I feel like reason can only go so far is that life isn't necessarily about solving problems, but sometimes it's about managing contradictions. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think this is one of those areas. Yeah. And there's not going to be a clear answer to everything. Like that would be weird if there was yeah. given how complicated life is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm glad I called in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to both the double callers. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, on that dark note about what a right to sex would look like, thank you guys for tuning in. I'll do a better job of um, yeah, posting this more than an hour beforehand so we'll have a bigger crowd and more questions next time. But the questions I got were very good. Thank you for pushing back on me as always. And uh, 
yeah, I hope you guys have a good Wednesday and I will be back soon. Farewell.